is going to give us the victory tonight. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 6. In the Word of God this evening. And I want to preach a sermon I've entitled The Act of Redemption out of the book of Exodus. And I wanted to look at this subject tonight because I think it is very critical to our understanding as believers uh, that uh, God is a God uh, who is involved in this wonderful work of redemption. Hallelujah. Because of that, you and I are blessed this evening. So let's read Exodus chapter 6 verses 5 through 7 tonight as we launch into what God wants to speak to us this evening. Exodus 6 verse 5. This is God talking to Moses. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, sin, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Verse 7, and I will take to you, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Hallelujah. In our text, God is speaking to Moses. And it's very interesting the conversation the Bible gives us as we begin to listen to this. Because this conversation that God is having with Moses reveals a number of things. It shows us what God is concerned about. It shows us what God is listening to. And it shows us God's intentions. A threefold revelation here in the text. What God, amen, is concerned about. What God is listening to. And what God's intentions are. So let's talk first about what is on God's mind. Hallelujah. What's on the mind of God? I can declare to you tonight. That the only thing that God is concerned about our souls that's it that's God's his, his whole focus is on that the souls of humanity because this is all that matters to God this is what is most important to him because this is the only thing that's eternal tonight you and I we are flesh and blood yes but I mean our flesh and blood is not going to be here forever amen but the soul is eternal and because God is an eternal God, he wants to have an eternal relationship with us. And so he's not trying to preserve our flesh as many people do, amen. But he wants to touch that soulish area of us because it was designed to have a relationship with him. Everything that's not eternal is passing away. But God's intention is to have an eternal relationship with us. Amen. This is hard for people to process sometimes because we're temporal beings and we're, everything is temporal and we function in that realm. But here's God, he's eternal. And what he thinks about are the eternal things of life. Hallelujah. 
That's why the only thing that has God's full attention is the souls of mankind. I can tell you tonight, God's not worried about global warming. God's not worried about the rising of the sea level. God's not worried about the political part. God is concerned about souls. Because all those other things are going to pass away. We understand the Bible says that this earth is going to be destroyed. And all of it's going to be washed away. But the soul of mankind is eternal tonight. And that's God's focus. So God is not worried about the things that man is worried about. But listen to what it says in verse 5 of our text. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel. Whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I've remembered my covenant. It's just fascinating. It says that God. He says I've heard the groaning. That word groaning. Literally means that you, you come to a place in your life. Where you don't even have words to speak. It's just this, this, this inner groaning that, that comes out because you can't even express uh, the weight that you're under. He says the groaning. The, the Bible says in the translation, the basic English translation says, And truly, my ears are open to the cry of the children of Israel. How many knows sometimes life will make you cry out for God? And God says, I hear that. This is fascinating tonight that as you and I are in the streets of life and we're crying out to God, we're, we're groaning in our spirit, we don't have words to even express. God says, I heard that. I heard that. I'm listening to what you're saying. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 26 verse 7. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked upon our affliction, our labor, and our oppression. Now he's talking to uh, Moses at this time, the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's a hard taskmaster. Uh, he's making their life bitter, amen. He's making their life difficult. Pharaoh in the Old Testament is a picture of sin. How I many know sin makes our life difficult? It makes it unbearable. And this is a picture of Pharaoh. And here's the people of God. They're for generations in this bondage. And the Bible says they're groaning. They're crying, God help us. Help us. We're under this great burden. This great weight, amen, that has us in this position where we can't even verbalize what we're feeling. Have you ever been in that place in life? Can't even speak the word, but God, oh, it's a groaning of spirit. Psalms 34, verse 6. <clears throat> this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Here the psalmist is right now with David in the book of Psalms. David had a difficult life. David was betrayed by family, betrayed by friends. David uh, was trying to be killed by a man he was faithful to. And so David had a difficult life. Yet he writes these words. This poor man, I believe David's referring to himself. 
This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. This is a revelation to thy listen. When you and I are crying out to God, it's not just words going into the atmosphere and disappearing. The Bible says God hears what we're saying. Amen. That's encouraging tonight. Because sometimes we talk to people and the saying goes, it falls on deaf ears. Amen. Falls on deaf ears. <clears throat> but here's God in the eternal heavens. You and I here in Pittsburgh. And we cry out. And God says, I heard that. That's powerful. I heard that. When we cry out to God, he hears and listen, it provokes God to response. It provokes God. God listen, wait, 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 wait. I heard something. I heard somebody calling on my name. I heard somebody saying, Pharaoh has made my life unbearable. I heard somebody saying, the weight of this life, oh, is making me groan. And God says, I've heard that. And listen, when God hears, he's provoked. He's not only listening to us, but he's also watching us. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. <clears throat> and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Now I want you to catch this tonight. Moses uh, had committed a crime in Egypt and he fled. He's living in the backside of the desert. He's living undercover now. He's starting a whole new life. But yet, God is trying to get a hold of this man. But Moses simply won't, he won't respond to God. The Bible says for 40 years he's running. Hallelujah. I ran for 30 years. Moses got me beat by 10 years. Hallelujah. 40 years he's out there and finally one day he says I'm going to turn aside and see why the bush burns but is not destroyed and God responds and when God saw him turn God spoke to him hallelujah some people say well God's not talking to me well maybe he's waiting for you to turn maybe he's waiting for you to say let me go see what this God has and when Moses made this decision in a moment of time, after 40 years of just wasting away, all of a sudden God intervenes and this man's life is radically transformed. Because God is watching. Lots of folks cry and say, oh God help me, God help me, but they never turn. Amen. They never turn. God is watching. I heard you. Now I'm watching. And if you'll turn... God says, I'll get involved. Our actions trigger a response from God. When Moses turned, that's when God speaks to him. Hallelujah. And so it's not good enough to just cry out, oh God, get me out. How many times I prayed that prayer? God, get me out of this one, and I'll never do it again. But I never turned. Amen. But there came a day where I turned, and see, God begins to speak to you then. People say, oh, you mean God talks to you? Absolutely. Hallelujah. He speaks to us. He said, Moses, I saw you made a decision to stop running and to turn. And this triggers the voice of God in our lives. 
Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 7. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shimei, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. Think about what he's saying here. God said, listen, I mean, it's humbling to turn and admit you're wrong. But that's all God is. Listen, we just come to God, Lord, you were right, I was wrong. And the, the Bible says when God sees that, he says, listen, your judgment is stayed, and I'm going to grant you deliverance. I'm going to help you. Thank God for that. Thank God when we turn to God, he'll say, oh, no, I remember what you did last week. I don't know about that. No, no, he doesn't hold it against us like people do, right? Some people remember what you did to him 50 years ago. I remember what you did to me, and I'll never forget it. But that's not like that. So I'm going to grant you deliverance because you humbled yourself and said, God, you're right. And I'm wrong, amen. He says they've turned They've humbled themselves, and this triggers God to get involved in our lives. And listen, this is the deciding factor, whether or not God gets involved in our life. We can know him, we can know about him, we can read him, but we want, listen, I want God to be involved in my life tonight. Hallelujah. So let's talk about the hand of God. The hand of God. We know the hand is symbolic in scripture of fellowship. The hand is, is, in, is symbolic of work, of labor. And when we're talking about the hand of God, we're talking about a supernatural intervention in our situations and circumstances. Verse 6 in our text, remember it said, Wherefore said to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Now God is responding to his people. I've heard your cry. I've heard your groanings. I've seen that you turned and now you're obeying me. It says, this is going to get me involved in your life. I'm going to begin to reach into your life and rearrange some things. I'm, about, I'm going to reach into your circumstance and change some things around. He says, you tell them, amen, I'm God, I'm the Lord, and I'm going to bring you out from under. Glory to God, listen. Sometimes life has us down under, amen. Sometimes the weight of life is burying us and we can't free ourselves. And here's God saying, I'm going to get, I'm going to reach in. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to take the burden off of your life. I'll never forget the day I went to the altar and gave my life to Jesus. I mean, it's so very vividly real to me. As I'm praying and repenting of my sin at the altar, it's like God showed me I'm forgiving you for all the things that you had done. And I'm telling you, I begin to weep because I knew the wickedness I had lived. And here's God saying, that's all for God. I'm, I'm bringing you out. Man, I'm telling you, I felt the weight go off of my life. We're talking about the supernatural hand of God getting involved in our circumstance. 
and our situation. And then he says these important words where I want us to look tonight. He says, I will redeem you. Now this is powerful tonight because it makes a number of statements. I will redeem you. Why do, the word redeem means to regain possession of something in exchange for payment. God said, I'm going to redeem you. Say, wait a minute. I thought God created us. Yeah, but listen, in the Garden of Eden, man signed a contract with the devil. Amen. And contracts are legal, right? You sign the contract. Hey, I didn't see the fine print. That's your fault. You signed on the dotted line. And so when man signed the contract, he didn't see the fine print, which said death. Hey, wait a minute, devil. You just said, no, 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 no. You signed, man. Now he has legal right to your soul. He has legal right to, to torment humanity. So when Adam and Eve produced their offspring, uh, they passed on that bloodline curse to all of humanity. And you and I are born with a sin nature, amen? Nobody has to teach us to do wrong, right? Nobody has to, no, listen, as far as I know, nobody taught me to lie. That's, it's kind of a thing to sin here, amen? It's our fallen nature. And so he has access to man's soul. And uh, Jesus speaks about this, amen, in John chapter 8, verse 44. Talking to, he's talking to, Jesus is talking about the devil. He's describing him. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. He says he's a murderer from the beginning. Now I want you to lock that thought in, and then we'll go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel and slew him. Now I want you to think about this. Cain and Abel, they probably lived in a very, pretty nice neighborhood, right? They're the only two. There's no TV. There's no violent video games. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing. It's just Cain and Abel. Now they're out of the Garden of Eden, yes. But listen, uh, probably a very nice neighborhood they're living in. But yet, murder. Say, where in the world did that come from? I thought it was the movies or the TV was the problem. No, 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 no. We're talking about a spirit. Jesus said the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And because he has access to humanity now, we see it played out. He influences this murder. And this is proof we have a fallen nature and that we're under contract because Adam sold us when he disobeyed God. The bloodline curse. We're born with it. No one teaches us to lie. No one teaches us to steal. I mean, I was a very young shoplifter, amen. You know, those, those little toys that just kind of found their way in my pocket, amen. But where'd you get that from? I don't know. Amen. It's our nature. It's a bloodline curse. Amen. Romans 5.12 says this. Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed on upon all men, for that all have sinned. He was I don't I haven't sinned. Well, the proof that you sin is one day that you're going to die. It says that this was the nature of sin. And so the Bible says all have sinned. 
Adam's one sin, his bloodline, the blood curse, came onto our lives. And so the only way that God could rectify this was he had to redeem or purchase back that which was lost. Because God is a just God. God is a God functions under law. You know, our God is not lawless. Now God, because he's God, he could have walked in, slapped the devil across and said, hey, give me them people back. I want them back. I ain't paying you nothing. <laughs> I'm God. But God functions in the reality of legal realm. In other words, Adam, you fool, you signed the contract. He has legal right to you. you. You did that. And the only way I can rectify this is I've got to redeem. I've got to pay the purchase price to get you back into relationship with me. So this is where the word redeem begins to come into light in the scripture, in the word of God. So think about this. God wants to purchase back the souls of humanity. What price can you put on a soul? We can price a car, we can price a house, we can price, but what price can you put on a soul? Hallelujah. And if the devil setting the price, he set it way high. I want to set the price that no one will want to pay for these filthy human beings. And God will just let me keep them all. Matthew 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And what he's saying is, you can make all the money you can possibly make, and you still cannot free yourself with that money. There's lots of rich folks tonight that are in bondage. And sometimes, in fact, you know, the more money you got, the more bondage you get, amen. But Jesus said, there's nothing you can offer that can purchase back your soul if you gain the whole world. If you hit the lottery, you still can't purchase back your soul. You're still a sinner. You still need redemption. So God had to rectify this problem. And he does this, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, is that word, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as a lamb without blemish or without spot. This was the purchase price. The only way that you and I could be restored, redeemed to God, was it was going to cost the life of his son. Jesus Christ was going to have to shed his blood and this was going to be the cost of redeeming us from the hand of the enemy. Quite a high price. Would we have paid it? Hard to say. Would we be willing to pay that price? But God was because he loved us. Because he loved us. The precious blood of this was the purchase price. This was the redemption price. Hallelujah. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
See, Christianity is more than about a religion. You say, what religion are you? Listen, religion, listen, religion can't save you. I was religious for a lot of years, but I lived like the devil, amen. Religion can't save you. It's not about religion. It's about the blood of Jesus, the purchase price. And it says that you and I have forgiveness. Thank God for that. That's a, listen, that's a bonus right there, that God forgives us for what we did. Amen. See, the riches of his grace. God said, I'm going to purchase you back. There's no price too high. Amen. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, you know what? Amen. I, I'm not worth anything. God said, no, you're worth everything. You're worth everything. And I want to pay the price to redeem you. To break the bloodline curse of sin. Because that's what happens. It's not about joining a church. You can join, a, you can join 15 churches and still go out and sin. We're talking about being delivered from the spiritual bondage of the devil that made us. You know, when they were in Egypt, Pharaoh made them do what he wanted them to do. Right? You're going to make me bricks. You're going to build me. You're going to build my city. And they had no recourse. Isn't that the way sin is? I don't believe, you know, the, 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 the drug addict or the alcoholic, uh, and they're, they're destroying their lives. They want to stop. I believe they want to stop. But the Pharaoh of their life won't let them. You're going to do it. You know, go out and get drunk. I remember go out and get drunk, throw up, amen, or everywhere. I said, I ain't going to never do that again. Next weekend, hey, let's go out. I don't want to go. Come on, man, get in the car. You go. Because we had a Pharaoh of our life. But see, when Jesus paid the purchase price, his blood became our blood. And his blood is perfect blood. His blood is not only the influence of the enemy. His blood gives us dominion over the things that once had dominion over us. Hallelujah. God turns the tables. Puts us in a place of power. So let's then talk about a new beginning. I can't tell you how many times I tried to make a new beginning. I moved from Pennsylvania. I went to Ohio. Tried to start over. Didn't work. Moved back to Pennsylvania. Moved to Buffalo. I'm going to start over. Didn't work. Back to Pennsylvania. Then I moved to Massachusetts. I'm going to start over. It wasn't working. Until I met Jesus. See, God is the God of new beginnings. And we don't have to run to another place to have a new beginning. God says, I can make you start right here new. Remember in verse 7 of our text, he says, I am the Lord your God which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's what salvation is. God bringing us out from under the burdens that had us groaning and the weight of that was breaking us. He says, I'm going to give you a new beginning. Glory to God. I was into that, man. When God says, well, let me start over. All I have to do is, is humble myself and repent and make things right. God said, I'm going to let you start over. I signed me up. I'm in for that, man. I've been trying to start over for 30 years. haven't been able to do it. But in a moment of time, God said, I'm going to bring you out. 
I want to remove the burden, the weight of sin in your life. In other words, the devil no longer has control over you. Hallelujah. The devil is no longer our father. But he, his power has been broken. Romans 8.15 For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba means one and only. And this is speaking in a spiritual context now. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for our sins. We receive Christ. That blood now becomes ours. And that the Bible speaks about the spirit of adoption. In other words, we're not just servants of the Most High God, but the Bible says sons and daughters. <laughs> Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. See, the religious world, they couldn't get this. This is why they, they got angry with Jesus because he says, Father, my Father said, and you can't call God that he's God. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Abba, Father. The Bible said that God has not just saved us, but he's adopted us. <laughs> Glory to God. He's adopted us. He's calling you son. He's calling you daughter. You become a part of the family of God. Since you've not received the spirit of bondage, that's how we lived our lives, right? From one bondage to the next bondage to the next. Pharaoh says, more bricks. We need more straw. You get more straw. You know, I want more bricks. No break. That's the way sin is. But now we cry out, Father. We've now got a family. Hallelujah. If I'll be honest with you tonight, the family of God in many times is closer than my own blood family. Because we're talking about a spirit now. Abba Father. The Spirit of God adopted us. This is a new beginning. Because now, because God is our Father, we no longer have the bloodline curse working in us of sin. That's why we're able to serve God. It was all being a Christian. Sorry. Not if you get a transfusion. <laughs> you get a Holy Ghost transfusion serving God is the easiest thing you ever do. Amen. We're going to have a new existence. Because we have a new father. There's a new bloodline. That means the curse is broken in our lives. Hallelujah. The book of Romans says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Hallelujah. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin, here's the breath, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Glory to God. Here's the Bible declaring a powerful truth. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you cry out, Abba, Father, sin no longer has dominion over you. The devil can come knocking on the, hey, come on, man, we're going to go, hey, man, see you later. No, I'm not into that anymore. I don't do that anymore. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Uh, uh, you know, I, I shared the story about how when I first got saved, I was still going to church. Uh, but after work, you know, I was I still had my Budweiser in the freezer there. You know, I would put one in, get it nice and chilled. And uh, uh, I go in there to get my Budweiser. I open the refrigerator and I'm down to get ready to pick it up and God meets me there. He said, we don't do that anymore. I said, you know, it's only a, I mean, it's only a beer. You know, what I mean, what's the big? And I, and I don't know how long I was standing there with the door open, uh, with my hand inches from the can, uh, talking, arguing with God. That's this, this was the spirit trying to get keep his hold on me. God, but God be seeing and say, no, we don't do that anymore. That no longer you don't need that anymore. And as I'm there, locked in for what seemed like an hour, I stood up. I closed the door. And I never touched it since. Because the Bible says we have dominion. Those things that once held us captive can no longer, because we've been purchased back. Now you can let the devil lie to you and say, hey, I still own you. Not only the contract you signed. No, no, that contract's no good, brother. I got a different, I got a transfusion. <laughs> I got a new contract. I got a contract signed in the blood of Jesus. And it says, I no longer have to obey you and the fullness that you want to do with my life. Sin shall not have dominion over you. God's saying, I'm letting you start over. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that's the act of redemption. This goes beyond religion, friend. Religion, listen, you can have religion. I need Jesus. I tried religion, amen. Didn't do anything for me. But when I got Jesus, I got set free. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads now. We're going to take a moment to pray before we leave.